All right, everybody. Here we go. Back at it. This is experience number 22, and it is summer camp part three. Choose again. Choose again. This is what we're calling it. So here we go. When I was in third grade, I was in, it was a Sunday morning. I was in my church small group. There were, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us in the group. We were sitting in a circle on the floor and our small group leader, his name was Steve. I imagine his name is still Steve. He was talking to us about what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. I think the phrase he used was asking Jesus into our life or asking Jesus into our heart. That's the way that it was talked about back then. And before that point, my parents had probably talked to me about what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus, I don't know, a thousand times before then. Um, But when Steve talked about it at that particular morning, something clicked, something impacted me. Um, And also, by the way, you know how sometimes kids need someone other than their parents to, to speak to them about some things? Like there are times where you'd rather listen to an aunt or uncle or a cousin or a neighbor or the mail carrier (laughs) before you listen to your parents, which by the way, is one of the reasons why volunteering places, whether it's in a church or whether it's someone else is so impactful and meaningful. You never know the influence you will have on someone else when you are serving them. So this particular morning, Steve was talking to us about Jesus and and, uh, for the first time in my life that I remember... I intentionally said, okay, I want that. I want to actually be a follower of Jesus like on, <laughs> on purpose. And so I turned around, still seated, so my back was facing the rest of the group and the conversation, and I bowed my head and uh, I prayed. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I don't know what it was, a 10, 15 second prayer, turned back around to face the group and just rejoin the conversation like <laughs> nothing happened. Uh, and then of course I, over the next like couple of months, I asked Jesus to come into my life about 600 more times just to make sure it, it worked. Right. Do you ever do that just to make sure it worked? But that was the first time I intentionally remember choosing to follow Jesus. And that I'm still thinking about it like 29 years later, that was, I still look back on that moment as, as a game changer. It was a first decision. It was a meaningful decision, but it was one decision. Uh, What I realized is I was going to have to choose again. For instance, have you ever decided that you were going to eat more healthy than you were before, or you were going to not gossip about that person at work anymore, or you were going to work at getting better at a particular skill that you have and improve? Um, all great decisions. And what you realized when you woke up the next morning was you were once again going to have to choose to eat eggs or Cheerios instead of potato chips at 8.30 in the morning. Or you, the next day, you had to once again intentionally choose to not join in the gossip circle around the water cooler. Or you once again, the next day, were going to have to choose to put in the time and work or whatever it was that it was going to take to get better at that skill or passion that you had. The day before, you made a a decision, and it was a great decision, a seemingly easy decision. 
But then you woke up again and you realized, oh, that was one decision. I'm going to have to choose again. And when you wake up tomorrow, you realize, oh, I have to choose actually again to do this. And maybe you've noticed this, but this is what it's like to follow Jesus. Choose again. So what we're going to do is I want to talk about four different stories in the Gospels that happened with Peter and Jesus. And then uh, I want to talk about what you need to know about God and you, and then uh, something else (laughs) you need to know about you. And then I will close with a question. So first, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was, I like to call the disciple on Red Bull. He was always the first one to speak up. Sometimes this worked out really well for him. Sometimes it did not. Uh, He was always like the... He was the most active, it seems, of the disciples, Uh, and he was Jesus' closest disciple, it seems like. So here you go, four stories of Peter and Jesus. Luke chapter 5, this is really early on in in the Gospels. Jesus is calling his first disciples, his first followers. Disciples, by the way, just means students or learners. And he's teaching a crowd by the lake on the shore. And the crowd gets so big that he actually has to ask this fisherman if he can get into his boat. And so this fisherman happens to be Peter or Simon, as he's called at first. Uh, And so Jesus starts teaching the crowd from from this boat. Teaching's over. Jesus asked Peter to row out towards the middle of the lake and then to let down his nets to catch some fish. And Peter is a fisherman, and he's been fishing all night with his buddies, his coworkers, and they hadn't caught a thing. And so he's like, "Uh, we've been fishing all night, and, and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll do it. In other words, Peter is saying, hey, Jesus, there's no point to this, but um, just to be polite, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you ask. Puts the net down. They catch such a large number of fish that Peter has to call another one of his buddies to bring their boat out. So you have two boats. They start unloading the fish into the boats, and both boats start to sink. <laughs> this is how many fish they catch after catching zero all night long, which, by the way, night time was when you would catch. It was the best time to fish. It's what, you had the best chance of catching fish. That's why they would fish overnight. Peter's response, this is fishing miracle number one, by the way. Peter's response is to say to Jesus, get away from me, Lord. (laughs) I am a sinful man. In other words, his response is awe. His response is reverence. His response is amazement. Fast forward a little bit in the gospel story, you get to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? The disciples respond, Uh, You know, some say John the Baptist or J the B, as we like to call him. Some say uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus hones in a little bit. He says, okay, okay, who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter is the first one to speak up because that's what he does. And he says, well, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says to Peter, well done, grasshopper. (laughs) Good, good, good answer. You are correct. And he says, and you are Peter. He's no longer Simon. Now he's Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to overcome it. By the way, the name Peter actually means rock. So when he names Peter, Peter, he's sending him a message. And this is a huge moment for Peter. Jesus is now handing off a boatload of church leadership responsibility to Peter on this rock. I will build my church. It's a good moment for Peter. The next story in the gospel of Matthew 
Jesus tells his disciples are headed to Jerusalem and he's saying to his disciples, Hey, by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to get like arrested and tortured and, and killed. Um, but that's okay. Cause on the third day I'm going to rise. And Peter with his newfound leadership responsibility pulls Jesus aside and tries to set him straight. He's like, never Lord, no way. This will never happen to you. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Get by, you are a stumbling block to me, he says. Now, if you're Peter, this is like, this is a mixed message. Wait, Jesus, a couple of minutes ago, you you told me you were going to like build your church on me. I was a rock. And now you're calling me Satan? Can you like make up your mind? I don't know what's going on here. I, I think I'd rather be a rock than Satan. <laughs> I'd rather be a rock than a block, Jesus. Do you ever get the feeling that following Jesus, like it's a, it's a journey that's never done. It is a path that's never completed. It is sometimes three steps forward and two steps back. Do you ever get the feeling that following Jesus means sometimes you have to choose again? Okay, fast forward a little bit in the Gospels. You get to John chapter 18. Jesus gets arrested and the religious folk take them to the courts. And so Peter follows. Um, and you would, if any disciple is going to sneakily follow Jesus after he gets arrested, it's going to be Peter. And he does. And so Peter's around a fire. And three different times people come up to Peter and said, as like Jesus' fate is being decided by the courts, like, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? You are one of his followers. You, you, you were with him. And three different times Peter says, no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not him. No, you, you must be mistaken. I'm not him. Uh, just by the way, as Jesus said he would. And then Jesus gets killed and he dies. And then Peter has to live with this regret of letting Jesus down and thinking, oh man, did I just totally blow my entire relationship with Jesus? Do you ever get the feeling that the journey with Jesus is never done, that sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps backwards, that sometimes you just have to choose again? One more story. You get to John chapter 21. Jesus has been resurrected. There's new life. And Peter and his disciples are out on the lake. They're fishing. Um, and, and this is John's gospel. And John makes sure to tell us that it was Peter's idea that they go fishing. So you wonder, and by the way, these strings of stories, um, I first realized the connection between these stories uh, from a book by a guy named John Orberg. Um, so credit to him, but you wonder if Peter thinks like, okay, Jesus is dead. The movement we fought for, um, it's over. We failed, we lost. And so the only thing to do is to go back, to go back to what we knew, to go back to our old profession, which is fishing. So he's like, Hey guys, let's go fishing. Cause I mean, we, we gotta, we gotta go back to our old way of life. By the way, has something ever happened to you? A disappointment, a failure. And your response was, well, I guess I need to go back to my old way of living. I wonder if this is what Peter's thinking. And so they're out fishing overnight because remember, that's when you would catch the most fish. They didn't catch a thing overnight. Um, by the way, do you sense fishing miracle number two coming on? This has happened before. It's dawn. It's the next morning. And they haven't caught a thing. And they notice someone standing on the shore. And this person tells them to put their nets down on the right side of the boat. And once again, they do it, maybe politely, like, who's this 
you know, rookie who he doesn't know what he's what he's talking about. It's, it's in the morning. We didn't catch a thing all night. We're not going to catch anything in the morning. But they do it, and they catch such a large number of fish that they can't even bring the net back into the boat. And then we're told they look over and they recognize who this man is. It's Jesus. It's a resurrected Christ. And they're about a hundred yards out from shore. We're told, and Peter. His initial response, he just jumps in the water and starts swimming towards Jesus, like without even thinking about it. The rest of the disciples are like, uh, we'll just row back. And so they're rowing back. Peter's like out swimming the boats. Um, he gets to shore. By the way, the last time this fishing miracle happened, Peter's response was, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now he can't get to Jesus fast enough. Something has changed. So they get to shore. And Jesus is cooking breakfast because being raised from the dead, you work up quite the appetite. So he cooks breakfast for himself and his disciples. And it's, it's bread, it's fish. By the way, it's on a fire. So Peter, once again, is around a fire. And after breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh-oh, <laughs> he's not Peter anymore. He's not rock. He is Simon, son of John. This is, a, this is about as formal as you could address someone by calling them by their, the son of their father's name. And so Peter, is, you got to be thinking, oh, I did blow it. I'm no longer rock. Now I'm just like an acquaintance. I'm Simon, son of John again. Do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus says again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter's got to be wondering, what did he lose his hearing after like when he was dead? What's going on? Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time we're told that Peter is hurt by this question. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus uh, tells Peter how he's going to serve him and what he's going to spend his life doing. And then he says to Peter, the same words he said to him the first time he met him, which was, follow me. Oh, and if you're Peter, the light bulb goes off. What's just happened? Three times around a fire, I've denied Jesus. And now three times around a fire, Jesus has given me a chance to express my love for him. And this time I got it right. So what has Jesus just done? He's saying, hey, Peter, I know what you, I know what you did. <laughs> I know you're sorry. I know you feel bad. Uh, but welcome back. You're, you're back in the game. You can begin again. Follow me. Jesus has just taken Peter from like a, a, a death um, to a resurrection. I know. It's okay. It's okay. You can begin again. You can choose again. Follow me. Oh, do you ever get the feeling that following Jesus is a journey that's never done, that it's sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back or three steps forward and four steps back and you got to find a way to get forward again? Do you ever get the feeling that following Jesus means choosing again and again and again? Now, here's what you need to know about God and about you. Uh, years ago, I was visiting some family in California and my cousin who lived uh, I actually don't know if my cousin lived in California at the time or somewhere else, but she and her, her kids came in, her small children. There was three of them. And they walk in, and before the kids are really through the doorway, their mom says to them, what's the rule at Nana's house? So they're visiting their grandma. Um, this My cousin is, is my aunt, whose house we were at, her daughter. 
So she says, what's the rule at Nana's house? And like in unison, kind of dejectedly, they all say, everything is breakable. <laughs> that was the rule at Nana's house, which means what she, what's the message she's trying to tell her kids? Uh, by the way, kids, everything here, just to remind you, is valuable. So be careful. <laughs> that was the rule at Nana's house. Here's the rule in God's kingdom. Everyone is valuable. What's the rule in God's kingdom? Everyone is valuable, (laughs) except we should be a little more excited when we say that, which means this, there is no one more valuable to God than you. Look around. Everyone you see today, everyone you interact with, there is no one more valuable to God than you. It's a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. This is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus starts talking to his audience about not worrying. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, <laughs> excuse me, I just burped. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable? Are you not much more what? Valuable than they. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Jesus says, look look around. Look at the birds. They're not like storing up. Um, And yet I take care of them. And how much more valuable to me are you than these birds? So, So don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you what you need because you are so valuable to me. Then he goes on. And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the, see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, who was like the richest dude in the old Testament, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So Jesus says, hey, look at this grass. Look look at the flowers. Look how beautiful they are. Have you ever noticed like in the springtime, the summertime, you ever stop and just look at the grass or the flowers or or that, that bush that's like blooming in your front yard? How much more valuable to God are you than those things. And look how beautifully God closed them. He's going to take care of you. And then he says this. So don't worry about those things, he says. Here's what you need to worry about. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Yeah, don't worry about those things. Here's what you do need to worry about. Choose me. Do things that put my kingdom first. And all those other things, I'll take care of them even when it doesn't seem like I'm doing a very good job of it. And here's what I love about this. Jesus' audience, the people he's talking to, they're not like the religious elite. They're not the ones who think they're the best of the best. These are people who uh, wonder if they're going to make it. These are people who, who don't know where their next meal is going to come from. These are people who, who aren't sure they can pay their rent. These are people who have failed. These are people who have done something earlier in the day that they shouldn't have done. These are people who have relationship problems with their parents or their kids or their spouse or extended family. These are the people who uh, don't know what they're going to do after high school. These are the people who feel like their parents just nitpick at them all the time. And Jesus says, there is no one 
more valuable to me than you. No one. And so what I need you to do is just seek first my kingdom because I'm going to take care of you. Uh, I had a conversation with a woman a couple of weeks ago who told me um, about a time in her life that was really hard. In fact, she, she had planned on committing suicide. And I think I've shared the story on, the, on this podcast, but here we go. Um, she had three kids. She and her husband had three kids, and then they were taking care of, I think it was her niece. So they're taking care of four kids, and uh, they're in this like tiny house that she says she hated. And at one point, kind of out of nowhere, her, her husband just bailed, and she realized that he had left her with like $10,000 of debt. And so one day she just looked in the mirror in this tiny little house that she hated and says, I can't do this anymore. So she sent her kids off. um, Well, that's a bad way of saying it. She found other places for her kids to live, one of which was out east in Pennsylvania. And she planned out how she's going to take her own life. And so the day comes where she had planned to take her own life. She wakes up, she turns on the TV, and she sees that two planes have just flown into the World Trade Center. The day she planned to kill herself was on 9-11, September 11, 2001. And she just said, she just started praying and like God was evidently present with her. And the, her first worry was her kids. Like, are my kids okay? I have a kid out East. Is he okay? And she just felt God saying to her like, oh, now, now you care about your kids? Because uh, an hour ago you're planning on, on like killing their mom, <laughs> you. And, uh, so she realized she needed help and she needed some, some change in her life. And so she turned things around. And, uh, soon after that, there was a church who reached out to her and wanted her to be like one of their kids pastors. And she's like, you don't want me. I'm, I'm messed up. And they're like, no, we want you. We know, we know you're messed up. (laughs) Everyone sees it. Uh, and so she did it. And for years she had a great ministry at this church. And then she stopped that. And at one point she just started taking care of sick people. And, and that like her, her job for a long time in, in one way or another has been just serving people who need help. Uh, and I was talking to her just really, really amazed by her story and how she's grown in Jesus. And, and she said this to me. She said, you know, I am so glad God thought I was more valuable than I thought I was. <laughs> what did she realize? There was, there was no one more valuable to God than her. That's what you need to know. There is no one more valuable to God than you. Now, here's what else you need to know. Um, by the way, at some point in the podcast, we, I already told this story too, but we're going with it. Uh, last year, I think, I was listening to this teacher who was talking about how when she was growing up, her mom was an alcoholic. And at one point, her mom realized uh, that she had a problem and she needed help and needed to get better. And so she started going to AA and got heavily invested in AA and started taking her family, which included this daughter, who is now this teacher I'm listening to, to AA events, meetings and functions and that kind of thing. She started leading some stuff. And so this daughter was at an AA event and um, she heard this woman speaking and this woman had this line that she never forgot. And once I heard this, this now teacher say this line, I immediately wrote it down and I haven't forgotten it apparently because it's now the second time I'm sharing it in like 22 episodes on this podcast. Uh, but this woman said this, to a room full of addicts. How you live today is how you live your life. (sighs) What a great line. How you live today is how you live your life. Think about this. What does this mean? What is she saying? What she was saying was, um, 
how you live today will affect how you live tomorrow. It has to. It can't not. So to fall into the trap of, oh, I can do whatever I want today and tomorrow I'll turn things around. Or I can just like say no to what God wants me to do today and I'll jump in with both feet tomorrow. Um, That is a farce. (laughs) That is a misunderstanding. That is a dangerous thought. Now, we believe in transformation. We believe people can change. We believe all that. Um, What we're talking about is, oh, I'll I'll just put it off. I'll just put it off. Like I used to wonder growing up, why, <laughs> maybe you had this thought, why do people follow Jesus like early in life? Why don't they wait till they're about to die? <laughs> because then you can just do whatever you want for years. And then at the very last second, boom, you get your fire insurance and then you're in. Uh, but that's not <laughs> what you realize is that's not a healthy way to live. No, no, no. Because the way of the kingdom of God, seek first his kingdom is actually what's going to make your soul soar. It's actually what's going to fulfill you. How you live today will affect how you live tomorrow. It can't not affect it. And what we need and what the kingdom of God needs is for your soul to be at its best. We need you to be at your best today. And if you're not at your best today, it is going to be more difficult to be at your best tomorrow. What decision do you need to make today that... Oh, how I live today is how, how I live my life. I can't put that off anymore because that's not the way of the kingdom. And that's actually not the way for my best life, whether I realize that right now or not. You know, the Chinese, old Chinese proverb, it's brilliant. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. <laughs> the second best time is today. Yeah, I wish I could, I could have changed. I would have changed that 20 years ago. But you know what the second best time to change it is? It's today. It's today. It's not tomorrow. Mm-mm. It's today. Plant that tree. And, and we said this, I think, at one point, the Thomas Edison interview, where he was asked, what was, hey, what was it like? You know, it, it took you 1,000 tries, you know, to, to create what we know today as the light bulb. What, a reporter asked him, what did it feel like to fail 1,000 times at creating the light bulb? And his response was, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. Oh, I don't know. Whether he said that or not, it's brilliant. We're going with it. How you live today is how you live your life. And you, my friends, are a creation with an infinite amount of steps. An infinite amount of steps, which means every day you wake up, A, it's a gift, but B, it is a chance to begin again. It is a chance to get it right. It is a chance to live your life uh, loving God and loving others. It is a chance to take a couple steps forward, even if you've recently taken a couple steps back. It is decision after decision after decision. It is choice after choice after choice. Decision after decision after decision. It is choice after choice after choice. And what happens when you mess up? Because you will mess up. I will mess up. Uh, This is when we take the lesson from Peter. You can begin again can begin again. You can choose again and get back up off the mat and do it again. And as we learn uh, in Romans that grace can reign in our hearts through Jesus. Grace reigns through Jesus. But it all begins, my friends, with a first decision. Uh, I made that first decision in third grade. And then I had to begin again a lot. (laughs) 
still beginning again. I'm still choosing again. There's lots of stuff I wish I wouldn't have done. Uh, But I am so grateful that grace reigns and that Jesus gives me a clean slate, a fresh start, a chance to choose again. And even though I've taken a couple steps backwards, I can take even more steps forward. So here's the question. How are you living right now? Are you living uh, like the kingdom of God is what you're seeking? Or are you living like you're seeking something else? You're living like you're seeking the kingdom of God. Are you putting that first? Or are you living like you're seeking something else? And today is a day to choose again. Well, my friends, that is experience number 22. Choose again. This is Summer Camp Part 3. Much love, grace, and peace. We'll see you soon.